This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope you keep them well. Not long to go until the senior men are again in action in Malta and Manchester. Uh, That preview episode is still to come, so stay subscribed and you won't miss it. Uh, Also, Serena Weigman announces her Lionesses squad for the forthcoming World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, We'll have an episode on that too at some point. But this episode is one I hope you'll enjoy. Uh, As you may remember, recently I released one looking at England's youth sides who were in action this summer. Uh, Well, this episode is finding out a little more about how they've either got on or they're getting on. Uh, Stay tuned as I've got a chat coming your way with an England fan who is in Argentina for the Under-20 World Cup. He's going to tell us how it is there and what he's seen. Now, I explained in the recent Lionesses episode with Abdullah Abdullah uh, that the young Lionesses made it to the semi-finals of their European Championships in Estonia where they were defeated by Spain. You can find more about that uh, on episode 262. But we now move on to the under-17 Young Lions and their Euros, the ones being held in Hungary. Now, they were in Group D alongside Switzerland, Croatia and the Netherlands. We began with a 1-0 victory over Croatia, thanks to a goal from Arsenal's Ethan Nwanyeri. You may remember the name. Uh, He's currently the youngest player to have appeared in the Premier League. Uh, He appeared for Arsenal back in September last year, aged 15 years and 181 days. That was when Arsenal played Brentford. Next up was the Netherlands, who were dispatched 4-1. Uh, although it wasn't as one-sided as the scoreline suggests. Arsenal's Miles Lewis Skelly scored a great individual goal early in the first half. The Dutch equalised in the second. And then with 20 minutes to go, Manchester City's Isaiah Dada Maskell scored direct from a corner. Then the Dutch were reduced to 10 men and the Young Lions capitalised. Dada Maskell got another into injury time before his clubmate Justin Obavudu got the fourth right on the whistle. Now both England and Switzerland were through and they would meet each other in the last group game. That game ended 0-0, although Switzerland won a penalty which was saved by Chelsea's Ted Curd in goal. And it meant that the lads finished top of Group D and then faced France in the quarter-finals who had finished second in Group C. So that quarter-final was played on the 27th of May. And the Young Lions bowed out of the Euros to the holders, France. An equal game, but it took the French until the 89th minute to break the deadlock. Heartbreak. 
Uh, it came via the penalty spot. Captain Lakyle Samuel of Manchester City adjudged to have handled the ball in the box. And with that, France, well, they were into the semi-finals. However, though, due to the nature of this tournament, it wasn't all over. A little silver lining hung in the air. Now, as I mentioned in the preview episode for the youth finals, all the semi-finalists go towards the under-17 World Cup finals that have been held in November, December this year, along with the winners of England or Switzerland, who were judged to be the two best beaten sides and also taking into account their group stage progress it's all a little bit complicated but the 30th of may came around and after that goal of straw with the swiss less than a week ago this was far from the same 17 minutes in leeds archie gray put england ahead the swiss equalized just on half time then took the lead early in the second half However, two goals in a minute from Zakaya Lovelace of Glasgow Rangers and Michael Golding of Chelsea turned the game in the favour of the Young Lions. And on 76 minutes, Aston Villa's Caden Young made it 4-2 and Ryan Gary's England are heading to the Under-17 World Cup Finals. Congratulations to them all. Now, as I say, it's due to be taking place in November and December. Well, 10th of November and the final is the 2nd of December. As yet, there is no host. <laughs> Peru, well, they were due to be hosting it, but they pulled out in April. And at the moment, they found no replacement. But no doubt, nearer the time, we shall have a feature on it. Now, as I'm sure you are well aware, the Under-20 World Cup has been taking place in Argentina. I'm pleased to say I've been joined by a fellow England fan, Gordon McKay, who's currently out there and has agreed to let us know of his experiences. Hello, Gordon. Good afternoon. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us. You're out there in Argentina. Correct. Yes, I've been here for six months now. Um, Is that work or pleasure? Uh, a little bit of both. I have a few projects that uh, I'm working on, uh, but basically it's a lot of pleasure and a little bit of work. Lovely. So I'm having a good. I'm having a good time. It's a good Lovely. city to be in, Buenos Aires. Uh, okay, well, it's all uh, red wine. Um, Argentina is famous for and beer, yeah. isn't it? And football. And football, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say football first out here. I would say. Yeah, but, yeah. but you're enjoying it. And I know oh you... yeah, of course. Good stuff. I know you followed England previously. How far does that go yeah. back? Uh, it goes back to the early 70s because I was uh, living in Harrow, just oh, a yeah. few miles from Wembley Stadium. Uh, so me and my well, initially with my father, we used to go to England games. Uh, and then when I was old enough, which in those days was about 13, we used to go with my friends. Uh, so I took in many, many a game over the years at Wembley Stadium. Many good memories, uh, some not so good, but good times. You do many away games? Uh, yeah, in about uh, 2002, uh, I had quite a few friends that travelled uh, to the games uh, and I decided to go to Japan. 
yeah. the World Cup, which was a fantastic experience. Uh, after that, I did Portugal. I did a little bit in Germany. Uh, then I did South Africa. Uh, and I've done a few games here and there. So I've been to some unusual places. Uh, but I'd have to say over the years, I've had some fantastic times, some fantastic experiences. Uh, but very few of my memories seem to centre around the football. I'm not sure why that is. I don't think you're alone there. No, no. Look, but overall, stories. a very positive, yeah, overall a very positive experience uh, from following England over the years. Yeah, a lot, lot of stories about before the game and, and after the game. Um, yeah. But um, we're going to talk about the, the Under-20 World Cup. Have you ever sort of seen any of the, the England youth games prior to this? Uh, never. No. You, <laughs> I mean, you're not alone, to be honest. Maybe on, maybe on telly. I mean, I think I remember they won the World Cup, was it six or seven years ago? Was it this age group or was it the Under-17 age group? Uh, I can't. They won. It's either this this age group or the 17s, yeah. Didn't we beat yeah, they won so, South Korea. Yeah, I remember there was a fair bit of interest around that time as they progressed in the competition. Uh, and I remember watching the semi-final and the final, but obviously on telly. Uh, but I don't think I've ever seen an England uh, junior team. Oh, I think I saw an England schoolboy international once. Oh. I was very young. But yeah. that's, that's about it. Yeah. They don't do those schoolboy games at Wembley anymore I don't I don't even know if they have schoolboy level to be honest I don't know but I think because the game's changed now because the players are all attached to professional clubs from a very young age whereas 30 40 years ago they were still fairly free up to the age of 16 uh, before they were contracted so maybe there is but I think possibly not with the change in the way the academy system works and players availability yeah well, there you are then. You're out in, in Argentina. And I guess yeah. about, what was it? It was probably about two months ago. You didn't yeah. even have this World Cup on your agenda, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't even meant to be in Argentina. No. Uh, it was initially scheduled for Indonesia. Uh, there were problems with the well, sections of the Indonesian population who objected to Israel playing in the competition. Uh, I can only assume for religious reasons. Uh, FIFA weren't very happy with it and took the competition off them. They, I don't know what the system was for providing a new venue, but apparently Argentina hadn't even qualified for this tournament. So they were quite keen, funnily enough, to take on uh, the responsibility. Well, my understanding is that when Indonesia applied for it uh, or put yeah. their bid in for it, um, so did Argentina and, and Indonesia were picked above Argentina. So it was literally a case of, OK, you were our second option, um, as yeah. it were. So that's that's how um, I believe they um, okay. were awarded it. So it's kind of been a sort of last minute dot com arrangements then, has it? Yeah, it looks like it. They're only actually using four stadiums. Uh, one of them is in La Plata, which is where England had been based. It's about an hour south of Buenos Aires. Right. Um, the other three stadiums are about a thousand kilometres west, northwest of here. So a little bit of travelling. Cities of San Juan, Mendoza and Santiago del Estero. So it's three 
stadiums that are quite a long way from here. So right. to be avoided if possible. So my understanding is if England win tomorrow against Italy, they will have to travel to San Juan on Saturday. But if they continue in the tournament, they will come back to La Plata because the semis and the final are both being played there. OK, so that's, that's handy then. Yeah. For you. <laughs> for you yeah, and but, for England. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are there many sort of English faces out there in the crowds? Not many. I think I've seen a few. I'm guessing there might be family and friends more than fans. Uh, that that would be my assessment. But there's very few English fans out here, as you would expect. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Well, it, it all started um, for England back on the, the 22nd of May. We'll just cover the, the group stage. As you, you mentioned there, the the round of 16 is against Italy. Italy, we'll, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're speaking the, the day ahead of the game. Um, yes. But it began in La Plata, as you mentioned, um, with a yeah. 1-0 victory over Tunisia, thanks to a goal from... Tottenham's Dane Scarlett. Was that a game that you went to then? Tell us about that. Yeah. One. Yeah. I thought England controlled the game. They were they were the better team. Absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, maybe a little bit wasteful with their finishing. In my opinion, England looked better going forward than they were defending. Uh, I think Scarlett looks a good player. The right. left-sided midfielder, Harvey Vale. Uh, I think he's at Chelsea. He looks a good player. And there was a guy in midfield, I think Scott was his name. I'm not sure who he plays for, but he looked good. So for me, three attacking players who looked very good. Defensively, we looked a little bit wobbly, I felt at times. Uh, and that was shown a little bit when I saw the Uruguay game as well. A little bit unconvincing, in my opinion, at the back. OK. Well, that was a game played uh, at the, the stadium in La Plata, which... From what I've yes. seen, I saw the, the highlights of, of that game and the, the Uruguay one that we're going to come on to. It looks a smart little stadium. Yeah, it, well, it's the home stadium of Estudiantes. Right. Who play in, play in the Premier League here. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a decent stadium. I'd say about 50,000-ish capacity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there was, by all accounts, there was about just short of 3,000 in there for that game against Tunisia. Um, Correct. Slightly different for the game against Uruguay, which was the the next game on the 25th of May. Um, yes. A wet day that one, but I yeah. don't think that was the uh, that was the least of the problems. Yeah, there were numerous problems. So I think the uh, Tunisia game. I turned up about half past two. I just strolled into the ground, took my position, no problems at all. Uh, the Uruguay game was always going to be a bigger crowd uh, because there are quite a lot of Uruguayans that live and work here. Uh, the proximity to Uruguay as well means yeah. a lot of them would have travelled over. There was an added complication that day. It was a national holiday in Argentina. Yeah. Uh, now, ordinarily, a game kicking off at three o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, you're probably not looking at a fantastic crowd at that level. And certainly very few locals would have attended but in the end, I think the crowd was over 27,000 wow. for that game. A lot of Uruguay, a lot of local Argentinians, families, mostly families, really, because it's a bank holiday. Everyone was at home. Right. And yeah. They took the opportunity to watch a game of football. So turning up at half past two again, uh, it's a, a slightly different scene I was met by. 
Yeah. Uh, there was a queue a mile long. Uh, it didn't really move very fast. As you know, in England games, big tournaments, there's like a staggered security system yes. where they check bags, check tickets, which is generally very slow. But I would say my impression was the authorities were not expecting that many people. Uh, it, it was a big crowd. If that game was played the day before, I think you're looking at maybe 10,000 at most. Simply because, because it's it, not a bank holiday. Yes. Uh, so the 27,000. And the only way you can buy a ticket that I'm aware of is via the FIFA portal. Right. So the authorities have to be reliant on FIFA telling them how many tickets have been sold. And it would be interesting to know what the lines of communication are between FIFA and the local authorities. We can only guess. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't think they were expecting anything like that number. So they got caught out. So it took me an hour and 45 minutes to get into the oh. stadium. Oh. I, I, yeah, I got in 10 minutes into the second half. It was 2-1 to England at that stage. Uh, it, as you said, it was raining. It was raining quite heavily as well. So everyone was out in the rain, standing in a long queue. Although it was quite good humour, there, there, there wasn't any problems with the fans. Everyone accepted their fate and then, you know, shouting and screaming wasn't going to make any difference. So... That was that. So that wasn't a very pleasant. And it was a little bit chilly as well for here. Uh, I'd say it's about 14, 15 degrees, but that's quite chilly here when you get yeah. used to probably double those temperatures most of the time. So, yeah, not a great day, although the result was good. Um, I would say for England, that was a fantastic result because to win against Uruguay over here, basically on their doorstep, and there was a lot of intimidation. There was a very hostile crowd. You know, they were up against it. The the game was a little bit niggly uh, and they didn't respond to it. I, I think that was an outstanding result. I, I really do. Yeah, and I don't think enough has been made of it back home from what I'm hearing. Um, very little coverage. Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah I, th I think that's a, a fair assumption. Um, I think it's only available on, I think it's like FIFA TV, um, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very little at the moment. Obviously, the further England get, the more probably there will be on it. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. But obviously, they're in the game, I guess you missed. So, you got in at just gone half-time. Chelsea's yeah. Bashir Humphreys put us in yeah, the lead. Yeah, I saw the goals. Yeah, I saw yeah. the goals later on. Uh, from what I saw, Uruguay were pushing, you know, they were looking to get back in the game. Uh, possibly were slightly the better team from what I saw but England they, they stood up to it really well I'd say for those young players a great experience because they're the kind of situations they're going to have to get used to if they're going to play in the first team yeah. you know hostile crowds a long way from home uh, the opposition uh, getting up to a few few tricks mm -hmm. trying to intimidate them trying to get them to lose their call and I thought they stayed very calm and disciplined kept their shape, and then went on to get a third goal towards the end. It was a good goal, that one. Nice solo effort from yeah, uh, yeah. Darko Gabby from Leeds. Yes. Yeah, a little bit of a solo run, a low shot. I mean, it wasn't an easy day for goalkeepers because it was wet and the ball was flying off the surface. Well, I was uh, going to say that because the Uruguayan second goal, like deep into injury time, um, yeah. there's been footage of that sort of looking sort of behind the, the striker's effort. And yeah. it, it's all over the place, like weaving around in the air. Yeah. 
maybe the goalie could have dealt with it a little bit better, but it it, it was um, yeah, possibly a mistake. But it was a difficult day for goalkeepers for yeah. sure. Um, so I wouldn't be overly critical in a situation yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. So overall, I think a fantastic effort by the team. Great experience for them coming through the ranks. Uh, and, and a fantastic win and probably deserving of a lot more media coverage from what I'm hearing back in the UK or back yeah. in England. Yeah, well, well let's, let's hope we can uh, hope we can read some more. And, and yourself bringing us some information like this is good to hear. But with, yeah. with two games under the belt, we, we were through and it kind yeah. of meant the last game uh, against Iraq was a... Well, you don't want to say a dead rubber, but yes, it, it was. Um, yeah. Again, played uh, in the same stadium. Yeah, uh, yeah. Back well, to 3,000. Back to 3,000. <laughs> well, it, it was a much-changed team as well. Right. Um, which I think was expected. Um, they used both of the other goalkeepers who hadn't really played. They gave them a half each. Okay. So I had that feeling of a pre-season friendly. Um, and it was a... T- England missed a penalty as well. But it was a tame, tame sort of nil-nil, um, so not the best. But what I would also add, what I'm aware of, this may or may not be true, that there were England players that hadn't been released prior to the tournament, and they were only coming out this weekend. Oh, really? um, yeah, I think there was at least two. It might have been three, and I think they were defenders, and that might explain some of the things I've seen at the games. Gotcha. There were two or three players who I think were first-choice defenders. Well, I'm assuming if they were prepared to wait for these players to become available, that they were critical to the team. Because I don't think you would do that for squad members, would you? I no, don't think. No. So I would think it sounds like there's two or three very good defenders coming or already here. Uh, and they're going to need them, I think, tomorrow. Uh, I think it would be quite... That's, I think that's a tough game for a round of 16, Italy. Well, they, Italy were. Also, I just want to say that, that last game was against Iraq. It finished nil-nil. Yeah. The, the, the Italy game is the, um, the the round of sixteen. Yeah. Uh, England are in this second half of the draw. Um, yeah. And that Italy have come from an interesting group in which they were in with um, Brazil and Nigeria, I think it was, and they all went yeah. through, tied on six points, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, that looks a very competitive group. Brazil were favourites coming into the competition. Right. Uh, I think Colombia was second, so, and then England were, were third favourites. No, Argentina was second, England third, Colombia were fourth favourites for the competition. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a, a tough group. And Italy had the top scorer in the competition. I can't remember his name, but he is the, the top scorer. So again, I'll have to reiterate, I think England probably need to be a bit stronger with the back for this one. Let's hope that that defence is uh, strengthened up then. But yeah. what, have you seen much of Italy? Like on in no, I just I've, I've watched a few clips of other teams. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been overly interested in the tournament. I've just been yeah. keeping an eye on it. I mean, it's it's an all the media coverage here is very extensive. Right. So in the papers, you're probably going to get two or three pages every morning about this competition. Okay. Um, you the telly. I don't watch telly personally, but when you when you go out to restaurants and bars, there's always commentary uh, or people being interviewed at the stadiums about. So I, I would say here it's a very big event, and they're covering it as such. And, and as hosts, Argentina, are they are they expecting 
much from the Argentine team, obviously being World Cup winners as well. Yeah, apparently not. They they were they're not overly confident uh, because don't forget they didn't qualify for this tournament. That's right. Originally. Uh, it's not meant to be a vintage crop of uh, Argentinian under 20s, yeah. but I think any Argentinian team playing on home soil is going to be very difficult to beat. Yeah. That would be my view. Um, oh, we need to go back to the Uruguayan game because there sure. were there were a few what we'd call maybe unsavoury chants from the fans, right. um, which were anti-English songs. Um, although you would never you never encounter that in day-to-day life, but I think football is a different arena. For those kind of uh, things. Yeah. So there was definitely a little bit of anti-English feeling in the stadium for that game. Initiated by the Argentinians and carried on by the Uruguayans because they were losing, I think. Right. I don't think they have any particular issue with the British, but certainly uh, the Argentinians do in some respects. So, yeah, there was a little bit of uh, anti-English feeling there. Um, um, I wonder yeah. if, if that has just by pure coincidence fallen on a uh on the particular dates of basically it's, it's um sort of the anniversaries of the Falklands War which I, I can only assume is maybe what you're getting at yeah well there were, there was, yeah I mean it might have been part of it but I mean the 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 day the, the day the bank holiday wasn't actually one of those nationalistic days okay. um it, it was like a working labor day yeah. The the Falklands Day is uh, early April, which they had oh, here. I see. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's obviously still a big issue here. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know whether people, just a few people, started singing. The Uruguayans were not happy because they were losing, and they expected to win. Uh, because I got a friend in uh, Uruguay, and she was telling me that the the, the newspapers on the morning again fully expected a comfortable win. Right. And even even after the, the day after, they were not very magnanimous in defeat either. Oh dear. So yeah, so but yeah, that's why I, I think uh, Uruguay are a very good team. It's, uh, it should not be underestimated what a good win that was. Yeah. So yeah. any any player that you thought <clears throat> maybe could make that step up in in a couple of years' time, because not every player at this age level can can go on. No, no. I mean it's it's difficult to tell. And the, the three I highlighted were the three I think at this moment are the best players. Right. And that would be Scarlett, Vale and Scott. But that's just my opinion of what I yeah. saw are the three best England players. But, you know, next year, the year after, other players could overtake them. Yeah. It, it depends on your when you're going to develop. Uh, it's a very inexact science. I don't think you can look at anyone and say... Yeah, they're going to be... Maybe when Messi was 16, they probably could. Yeah. But he, he's an exception. Uh, I don't think you can say with any great authority that an 18, 19-year-old was definitely going to be a full international because it's a big step and they've got a long way to go as well. A lot of luck comes into it as well. Of course, yeah. Opportunity, luck, everything, yeah. Well, you mentioned Messi there. I guess uh, we can't go past the fact that Argentina are, are World Cup winners. Were you, were you out there then whilst they won the World Cup? No, I came just after that. Ah. Uh, it's it's very evident here. I mean, you can say there's there's murals all over the city. Uh, there's some really good ones, particularly the ones where you have um, Maradona and Messi oh, yeah. both holding the World Cup. So right. quite significant. Uh, yeah. So and and the number of people that wear Argentinian shirts is obviously going through the roof. 
uh, as, as you would expect when a country wins a, something like the World Cup, there's a, a lot of um, national pride. Yeah. So I, I would say at the moment, uh, they're, they're a very happy country. Yeah, it's a country that I, uh, I'd i love to get to one day. Um, and there's, there is talk, actually, of I think the the World Cup at, at some point being jointly hosted by Argentina and, and Uruguay and maybe another country. Possibly Chile, possibly Chile. Yeah. Uh, is in, in this region as well. That, that's a possibility. Um, it might not be for a while. I don't, I don't think the stadiums here, I mean, from what I've seen, are particularly great. They're not fantastic. They're not on the level of stadiums in Europe, I don't think. Right. Um, certainly, I went to uh, Boca Juniors about 20 years ago when I first came here, mm. and it was falling to bits. It was in a real state of disrepair. But it was one of those places that came alive on match day. You know, the fans made yes. it. And, it yeah. and it's very much like that. Uh, and I was here a few weeks ago when they had the River Boca game, oh. uh, which is obviously massive. Uh, you've got no chance of getting a ticket for that. You, you absolutely haven't got a hope in hell. But just even being in the city it was an experience. Really? Uh, and, you know, people are screaming and shouting in the street and that, screaming out of their houses. It's not... All sorts of things. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, a real passionate football country. Wow. Absolutely. And their knowledge of football in England is very high. Is it? Okay. Yeah, they, they're very knowledgeable about football in England, yeah. Probably because there's quite a few Argentinian footballers. Mm-hmm. But they, they speak with a lot of authority and knowledge when they talk about English football. And they're kind of surprised when you say, you know, people in England, what do they know about South American football? I would say next to nothing. Yeah, very little, I would say, unless you are a uh, a real connoisseur. I would say the, the average yeah. Joe on the street probably knows very little about South yeah. football. Yeah, yeah. And, and we don't get any exposure. There's no exposure of it. No, that's that's right. why there's no football. People will probably already know River and Boca. But if they had to name another team in Argentina, they'd probably struggle. Uh, what is it? Independiente. Are they one of them? Yeah. <laughs> Phew, I've got past that that one. Yeah, you've got three. Yeah, they're just <laughs> on the outskirts, on the outskirts of Buenos Aires. Yeah, yeah. so that's three. <laughs> so yeah, and and but so they're all surprised when they when I say people in England really don't know yeah. about football over here. So yeah. Yeah, bucket list for me. One day I'll uh, I shall tick that one off. Right. You should, you should. Yeah. It's a great city. Well, um, just going back to the to the World Cup, um. As I say, we've we've got Italy next. I see um, Brazil. They had a, uh, I think they had a high scoring four nil or five nil. Argentina, I scored saw at a five nil. Was it Colombia had a nine nil? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's, it's very South American. I think oh, that are scoring a lot of goals. Is yeah, it going to be a South American win or could we win it? I think we have a chance. Yeah, but I wouldn't put money. On us. I, I still think uh, on this continent, although the climate is not a, not an issue because it's winter, uh, right. it's not freezing. It's about probably daytime, 17, 18 degrees, quite sunny. So the conditions are perfect, I think, for an English team. Um, I don't know. I think we I think we're good enough. But there's other factors you have to deal with out here. You know, if you had to play Argentina at some point, they would be, they would, they would be using every trick in the book. To, to get a yeah. result, probably on and off the pitch. So, you know, you, you'd have to deal with that. Um, I, don't, I think we've got a chance. From what I've seen, uh, I would, I'm going to go for Brazil, uh, but possibly as an outsider, I'm going to go for the USA. Okay, interesting. Yeah. 
They've got a good team, very yeah. good team here. Yes, yeah. it's, it's certainly growing for soccer, football soccer, in, yeah. in America. Yeah. yeah, it's been a well-received tournament here. There's a lot yeah. of interest. Uh, the media have certainly picked up on it. Organisational-wise, yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was just that one day. I've not heard of any other issues. Um, so overall, it's been very laid back. But I think on that day, particular day, it wasn't the time to be laid back. It's all very well standing around chatting, you know, the local authorities having a cup of tea and all being smiley. But they weren't that day getting the job done, in, in my opinion. It was too slow and they didn't realise. But then again, like I said earlier, were they reliant on FIFA saying, look, you've got a bigger crowd than expected. You need to up your game. Yeah. Just out of interest, are, are tickets reasonably priced for it? Yes, they were, I would say, uh, 2,000 pesos. When I looked at my bank statement the other day, £3.68. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh. And it's a cheap country because taking the train from Buenos Aires to La Plata, it's about an hour and 10 minutes. The fare was equivalent in England, 50 pence return. It's, it's what we can only dream of here. That. You, definitely need, you definitely need to come, Russell. <laughs> Just going to come for the 50p train fare. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's a good good value for, for money country, for sure. One day I will make it there. Gordon, yeah. thank you very much for your time and an insight into the into the, the tournament there. It's uh, it's been great to speak to you and maybe if uh, England go a little bit further, we could speak again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Russell. And take care, and hopefully we speak soon. My many thanks to Gordon there. Great insight to all things England at the Under-20 World Cup and Argentina as well. Who knows? Perhaps we'll chat again. The game against Italy is taking place on Wednesday the 31st of May, uh, the day released of this podcast. It's a 6pm kickoff local time, which means a 10pm kickoff here in England. Uh, I'd also like to say thank you very much to Peter Baptiste for connecting us together. There we go. As always, thank you very much for joining me. Hopefully, we're experiencing the dawn of our next generation of English players who will be cheering from the stands in the coming years. I'll be back with you very soon. Don't forget the Malta and North Macedonia preview will be with you very soon. Stay subscribed. You won't miss it. Don't forget, you can also follow the show on social media. Just search Three Lions Podcast. You'll find it there. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.